Thanks so much, Pastor Ben. And uh, we got our amazing volunteer team that's bringing out our teaching screen and this little podium here. Thanks, friends. We can give them a hand. We figured with it being Campus Sunday, we'll just keep it family. And uh, we don't need all the crazy videos to, for me to just walk up a couple stairs. So, <laughs> well, it's great to see everyone. I uh, want to say welcome to all those that are watching uh, online, as well as many that are here in person today. Thank you for starting off your new year, the first Sunday of the year at church. And, uh, you know, 2024, any new year, as we turn the page... I'm sure some of you are coming in today with a lot of anticipation. You're probably really excited about all that 2024 is going to be for you. And uh, this happens with New Year's too. Others of us are looking back at the past year and we're reflecting and we're, we're realizing that there was a lot that happened. Uh, maybe it was a year of milestones or a year of new beginnings. Uh, maybe some of you experienced losses uh, we, we've been uh, transparent about our family's journey, and that would be a word we would use to describe some of our 2023. And, uh, but again, I, I just want to encourage you that every new year will naturally do this. It will give us an opportunity to look forward to things that we're really excited about, and it'll give us an opportunity to reflect back on the things that we have experienced. And for some of us, we look back and there are some things we are just eager to hold on to, memories that are kind of seared in and we're thankful that we got to navigate and experience certain things. And for others of us, we look back at the last year and we say, oh, I just wish I could forget some of those things. You know, a new year allows me to kind of put that aside and move in to a new reality. And, and so another encouragement maybe I have for you today and new day, a new year, is no matter what you're bringing in today, maybe you're bringing in a lot of anticipation, maybe you're bringing in a lot of reflection, whatever that might be for you, uh, my prayer is that you really do have hope for this next year, that you will have hope that God will be close to you, that he'll be present in your life. In, in fact, I, I pray that 2024 is a year where you look back a year from now and you say that that was the year that my faith really deepened. Uh, it feels like 2024, that was the year that this vision that we have at Westwood, that we're going to be in love like Jesus, that that was true for me. I, I felt like I grew closer to the goodness of God this year. And, you know, may, maybe that'll be a, a New Year's resolution for you, right? I mean, this is the time of year where many of us will set some goals or some ideas of what this next year will look like. And, and that was a new habit or reality for me. You know, growing up in South Africa, we, we did not have as much of a habit or as, or as much of a rhythm of setting goals during the New Year. So that might be a distinctly American practice. And uh, I think uh, I, I saw a couple of pictures a few days ago. And it reminds me that we have a fascination with resolutions here in this country. And no place may kind of capture that fascination than the gym. <laughs> so here's a picture of uh, the parking lot of your favorite gym. This is on December 31st. Okay. And uh, then the next picture is that same parking lot kind of on January 2nd. All these people show up. The people that are gym people in here, you know where did these people come from? They're parking in my spot. They're using my equipment, you know. And then here's one last picture. This is now the same parking lot, February 2nd. <laughs> all of a sudden, we all leave again. And uh, it, it reminds me that, you know, setting New Year's resolutions, starting something, that, that, that's not easy stuff. But sustaining a New Year's resolution, kind of setting a goal and then sticking to it, that, 
boy, that could be even harder sometimes. And it, the reality of this short, this, these uh, little pictures here is that, you know, we can lose steam pretty quickly sometimes. As we set out to do some new things, to instill some new habits in our lives, sometimes, you know, the parking lot looks empty a few days or a few months later. And, and as I may say that, you know, your, what may come to your mind is some habits or some resolutions, some rhythms that you are hoping to have in your life and, and you're admitting maybe, oh, it, it's not looking like I thought it would. You know, maybe you thought that this is going to be my year to get my finances in order. Or, or this is going to be the year that I'm going to, I'm going to get my health under control. Or this is going to be the year that I, I'm going to repair that relationship. And maybe some of you are thinking, I, I've tried all this stuff before. And my finances are still a little stressful. And my health is probably still less than ideal. And my relationships are, yeah, a little bit dysfunctional. And so it may beg the question for all of us, are, are we focusing on the right things? And this also is probably unsurprising coming from one of your pastors, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contend that the only way forward to the life that we truly want for ourselves is with and through God. And if you're going to set a resolution this year, if you're going to set a goal, a New Year's resolution this year, then I'm going to invite you to consider a faith-filled one. Uh, resolution of prayer. I'm going to invite you to commit to making prayer a rhythm in your life this year because prayer is our way forward. And uh, uh, my guess is that you have heard that phrase before. We say that quite often here at Westwood. Prayer is our way forward. And, and what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that if we're going to make it in this world, if we're going to navigate some of the pain, if we're going to embrace and lean into some of the beauty and the joy of it all, it will be in and through prayer. Or maybe to say it the opposite way. Without prayer, without inviting God into our lives, by just trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, again, we may find ourselves like those parking lots on February 2nd, realizing that that doesn't go as far as we had hoped. And things do feel a little bit empty. We may be longing for better days. And, and now here's what I'm not going to suggest with respect to prayer, right? I, I don't want to suggest to you that prayer is a magical elixir. That it's, as soon as you start doing it, all your problems are solved. And everything you've ever wanted in life, all of a sudden it just shows up on your doorstep. Because the, the habits that we desire in our lives to get our finances in order, to build strong relationships, to maintain our health in good standing, I, I, I'm going to say that th that's good, that's needed, that's wise. But if that's all that we set out to do, if we're just focused on self-help and self-improvement, and many of us know this because we've done this before, we realize pretty quickly that did not go as far as I hoped it would take me. We need more than just life hacks, and a bunch of apps on our phone if we're going to make it. We need the power. We need the provision. We need the grace. We need the goodness of God. We need prayer. Prayer is our way to live into the life that God has for us because prayer is our way forward. But prayer uh, has this quality about it. Maybe it's funny. Maybe it's not the exact word to use for it, but it's this reality that for many of us, our first, if not our only experience of prayer 
is public. Another way to say it is for most of us, when we interact with prayer, it happens in a setting like this. It's in church. It's during a sermon. Maybe you go to a Bible study and you experience other people praying and you wonder this. You wonder, can I really do that? Or, or maybe you think, uh, uh, there's no way I can pray like that. And, and maybe one of the biggest ironies of all of this is that for many of people in this room, Prayer can maybe seem somewhat intimidating because of people like me. Hopefully not me specifically, but because of pastors, you know, who come up here and they pray and it feels like, oh, that was easy. Or, wow, that was really inspiring. What I'm trying to suggest is that we can't escape that our experience and our memories of prayer, that that's going to shape our understanding of what prayer is and how we are supposed to pray. And that's not just true of us. That's true of people of all time. This beautiful and sometimes mysterious invitation to connect with God through prayer, everyone has an experience with it. They have an observation of how it's supposed to look or what it's supposed to be like. And Jesus highlights this. He knows that we all carry memories of prayer that shape our understanding of how we're supposed to pray. And so he talks about it. And we're going to look at his observations in the book of Matthew. And I just want you to notice when we go to these scriptures that he's not too thrilled with what he's noticing too. So this is the book of Matthew. This is chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. This is Jesus talking. Uh, Talking to his followers, his disciples, and he says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then he goes to a second observation. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus appears to be highlighting what sounds like two prevailing experiences that ancient people had with prayer. And so on the one hand, they watched as the, the people they deemed as the holy people, kind of the spiritual people of their time, they were, these people were praying performatively. Prayer was used as an opportunity by the Pharisees and the religious elite to showcase their honor or their knowledge or their abilities. And Jesus says this about them. They've already received what they're looking for, not from God, but from their onlookers. And then on the other hand, Jesus says that the ancient people also watched the pagans. These were people that did not follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They did not follow the one true God. They followed and and appealed to other forces and powers in the world. And they prayed with formulas and rituals. And they prayed believing this, that the only way to get the attention of those forces and powers was based on me. Can I pray hard enough? Can I pray long enough? Can I pray with enough passion? And maybe then the gods will respond. 
And Jesus says they, they don't realize that there's a good and attentive God who hears their prayers and already knows what they need. And so from the vantage point of Jesus, he's saying the purpose of prayer is lost right now. The, the spiritual elite and, and the spiritually lost, they, they don't get it. And, and doesn't it feel like we've sometimes lost our way with prayer? That we can so quickly think like those ancient people did that prayer is about the person who's praying instead of realizing prayer is all about who we're praying to. And even then, the, the image that we might have of who God is when we pray, it can turn warped. And, and we can fall into this trap like the ancient people did of believing that the only way for God to listen or even care is based on my ability, my passion, my fervor. And again, what, what I don't want to suggest in that is that we don't have a part to play in prayer. I, I think we all do. I, I think we need to have a heart for prayer. I think it's important for us to know how to pray and why we pray. In fact, that was a question brought to Jesus too. This was important to the people of the ancient world. They, they wanted to connect with the divine. And so they went to many people and they said, how, how, how do we do it? How, how are we supposed to connect with God? And Jesus, unsurprisingly, has a response. He teaches us how to pray. And I think what he's trying to do in his teaching is help us avoid the ditches. He's helping us to avoid the ditch that he saw the Pharisees fall into, and that is, you, you think prayer is about impressing God, or about impressing other people. It's not about that. And then the ditch the pagans fell into was, the, oh, you, you think prayer is about impressing God? No, it's not either of those things. Prayer at the end of the day is connecting with God. And that's Jesus' prayer for us. So let's look at uh, another gospel text. This is Luke 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And this is that moment when the disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And we're going to look at his response. So this is verse 1, Luke chapter 11. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. You, you may know this as a version of the Lord's Prayer. And it, again, it came out of this hotly debated question, a question that was kind of uh, on the spiritual minds of many, many people. How are, we do, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to connect with God? And so what's going on in Jesus' response here? So I, I want to look back at these verses here just one more time and, and just notice some of the details in here. Okay, so look at verse 1 again as we see these opening lines. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. You know, we read all throughout the Gospels, which are the, recorded, um, uh, the recordings of Jesus' life, his biographies, if you will. And th this is not an uncommon set of verses. Uh, we see often in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that Jesus is going to certain places, solitary, quiet places to pray, to connect with God. And I find that fascinating because think of what he said in Matthew. Remember, he commented on the hypocrites, the Pharisees and the religious elite, because where did they tend to pray? 
they tended to pray in public places, in synagogues and in street corners. And so Jesus, being a spiritual leader, like those Pharisees, and even like John the Baptist, who's mentioned in these verses too, it, it doesn't appear that Jesus is following their conventions of praying publicly, at least very often. For sure, he's doing it on occasion, but for the most part, he's praying privately. Another way to say it is that he doesn't appear to be motivated to grow his reputation as a spiritual leader through the means of public prayer, which I think casts this fascinating contour onto Jesus' prayer life. And that's this interesting idea that I think many people had no idea how he prayed. I mean, think about it. If the only way that we kind of gain an understanding of how people might connect with God or how they pray is if they do it publicly, if we hear them in some way, shape, or form, if Jesus had this habit of always retreating to quiet places to connect with God, I, I think part of what motivated the disciples to ask is because they didn't know how he did it. And I think the disciples had a vision in their mind of what Jesus might have been like when he prayed. Because think about it, they heard the Pharisees pray on the street corners and in the synagogues, and the Pharisees are probably praying with all of this incredible language and these wonderful ideas and this, and this eloquent speech, and, and they look at the Pharisees and they think, well, well the Pharisees aren't feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. The, the Pharisees aren't walking on water. Uh, the Pharisees aren't going around healing people, if that's how they pray, oh my goodness, what is it going to be like when we hear Jesus pray? And so with that as maybe a backdrop of sorts of what's motivating the disciples, let's look again at this text. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John, this is referencing John the Baptist here, just as John taught his disciples. So again, in my, in my imagination, as I read this text, I think the disciples are coming up to Jesus saying, we, we finally cornered him. He's always going out there praying in his quiet little place in solitude. Now we've got him. And John, John's been teaching his disciples how to pray. This is, Jesus, you got to do this for us. You, you got to tell us, how do you connect with God? Because we want to do it just like you. And so the following this uh, in verse 2, Jesus said, okay, this is how you should pray. And he, says this, and he says these words, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. And again, this is my imagination. But I think the disciples, their eyes are maybe shifting to one another, you know. And, and they're thinking, that, that, that was it? Where, where's the social commentary against the pagans and the sinners? Where, where's the theological mind blowers? Where, where's the flowery and the repetitive language? Was that just 40 words? This is how we should pray? I'm going to suggest that this prayer disrupted the very understanding of prayer in the time and age of Jesus. It's disrupting the idea that prayer is a platform for you to impress others or for you to impress God. And what this prayer is ultimately doing is it's reminding 
the disciples. And in turn, it reminds all of us that prayer is not about you. It's not about how you sound to others, and it's not about how you sound to God, because prayer is about God. And who is God? He's a father. He's not a distant God asleep in the heavens. He's a father, and we're his children. And God is going to keep his name holy. He's going to keep his reputation as a good father. And he's a father who has a plan. A plan for our world that's steeped in love and goodness and hope. His kingdom will come. This prayer and prayer generally is not about you impressing God with your knowledge and your formulas and your rituals. He already knows. He already cares. And the number of words you share or even the intensity and the precision of your words is not what prayer is about. Instead, Jesus said, say to God in the simplest of words, give me today what I need. Give, give us this day our daily bread is probably how many of us know this prayer. And, and it sounds somewhat redundant, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. But maybe it's a way just to remind us that each day has its own needs and it has its own provisions and its own mercies. And, and then Jesus says, say to God, forgive me because I, I don't live this life perfectly. And maybe that's going to help me realize that I need to pass the forgiveness on to others in my life too. And don't let me fall into temptation. Maybe another way to say that is keep me from falling in the ditch because we'll have a tendency to do that as we navigate this thing called life. It's a simple prayer, isn't it? But that doesn't mean it's not profound. It's profoundly simple. It's the Lord's Prayer. And what this prayer ultimately does again is it shifts the focus of prayer away from the person praying, which was what was happening for ancient people as they experienced their spiritual leaders and their spiritual rivals praying. And it puts the focus back on where it needs to be, on who we are praying to. Because prayer is about God. Prayer is about meeting God and about God meeting us in his goodness, in our lives. It's, in our, it's meeting God in our needs being met. It's meeting God in our missteps being forgiven. It's meeting God in our paths being guided to life and life to the fullest. That's our way forward in the world. This is our way forward in life. This is our way forward in faith. Prayer is our way forward. The Lord's Prayer, in fact, is our only way forward. It's the only way for us to avoid the ditches that those spiritual people of the ancient world fell into. It's the only way to curtail our tendencies to think prayer is about how we sound to God or how we sound to others. It's the only way to keep realizing that prayer doesn't need to be intimidating or irrelevant. Intimidating in the sense that some of us feel like I, there's no way that I can pray in a way that moves God. No way. I can't pray like spiritual leaders, so wh wh why should I even try doing that? Or sometimes we think it's irrelevant. Irrelevant in the sense that there's no way that I can pray hard enough or long enough for my prayer to actually make a difference. It's why I think Jesus in this prayer is aiming to lower the intimidation factor for us. Because again, prayer is not about you. It's about God. 
And God is waiting with open arms because he's a father. He wants to receive our prayer. Your ability is not going to be the X factor. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in prayer. Of course we do. But prayer is at its best profound simplicity. It's 40 words of authentic truth and grace. It doesn't need to be intimidating. It's why our experience with prayer should be that. Primarily, how we should experience prayer is this simple, meaningful connection with God. That's how it starts. And it's why Jesus' prayer, I think, is also poking at this idea that it's irrelevant too. This idea that if, well, if God already knows everything that I need, why do I need to pray? I mean, Jesus even addressed that with the pagans. He said, they're going on babbling for hours a day thinking that that's going to move God. He already knows. He already knows their deepest needs, which, can go, which we can volley back to and say, well then, well, then why do I need to pray? Why does it matter? And I, I think there's a valid question there, but then I think of how Jesus taught about prayer, and he includes us asking. I mean, why would he include, give us this day our daily bread, if not to remind us that we need a provider? Why would he include, give us this day our daily, or, uh, 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 why would he include, forgive us our sins, if not to also remind us that we need a forgiver? What, why would he put in there to ask God to help us not yield to temptation, if not to help us realize that we need a protector? Another way for me to say this is, I think the relevance of the prayer and the relevance of prayer is not simply in what we might receive from God, it's what we learn about who God is. It's about how we're reminded of how God is at work in our lives and in our world. That's what happens when we practice the profound simplicity of prayer is we remind ourselves again, God's Father, God's provider, God's forgiver, God's protector. The only way we're doing this thing is because God is on the move. That's the power of prayer. But maybe, maybe there's just one more thing that may keep you from really leaning into prayer. And it's this idea, this reality, that sometimes our prayers don't get answered or they go unanswered. You know, I uh, have been reflecting, as I shared in, in the opening of this message, about what 2023 was like. And I've been transparent, open with the church family that it was a unique year for our family. Uh, many blessings, but it was one of the hardest years of my life because it was the year my mom passed away. And, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I prayed for my mom. I, I can't tell you how many times I feel like there were people in this church that were praying for her, people all over the world that were praying for her. And when she was at her sickest, when she was in a hospital on life support, you know, I, I, I was, I feel like I was praying my guts out that she would wake up, that she would, that I'd have a chance to see her again, that my kids would talk to her again, and it didn't happen. And, and so as a pastor, I wondered, did, did I not pray hard enough? Did, did I not pray long enough? Was I not passionate enough? And as I was preparing for this message, I was like, oh, I fell into the ditch. I thought I needed to convince God by my words. I thought, here I am, a spiritual leader, and it, if it doesn't work for me, why not for me, God? And again, it, that's not a question just pastors ask, right? I'm sure all of you have been there. 
You've all had those moments where you wonder, like, why didn't it work? Well, I, I want to offer you an encouragement, if, if you've navigated that before, that I received from a friend, as, as he knew I was kind of wrestling through this myself. And he reminded me of a quote by a famous Christian author named Oswald Chambers. Some of you may know that name, but here's what Oswald writes. He says, we impoverish God in our minds when we say there must be answers to our prayers on the material plane. The biggest answers to our prayers are in the realm of the unseen. My friend said to me, Clint, remember, God healed your mom spiritually. Her sins are forgiven. She's in the presence of Jesus. And if she was cured physically, it'd only be temporary. She'd again probably have to face the challenges of her diagnosis. Her healing is eternal. And the grace of God has now healed her physically and spiritually completely in heaven. And he said those last words to me from Oswald. Remember, Pastor, the biggest answers to our prayers are in the realm of the unseen. Remember, Pastor, it's not about you. It's not about your idea of what you think's best. It's not about your reputation or your abilities. It's about God. And he's a good father. And he knows what's best for you. And he knows what's best for your mom. And so, friends, my encouragement to you is that God's not looking at, at how much you're put together. He's not looking for your words to be filled with prowess and power and precision. He's not looking to be convinced. He's looking to connect with you. He's looking to meet you and for you to meet him in profound simplicity. Because prayer is our way forward. And so this new year, this first Sunday of the year, can, can I invite you to consider this resolution? Can we be people of prayer this year? Simple, profound prayer. The Lord's Prayer. And uh, maybe I can think of no better way for us to enter into that than by coming to the Lord's table and allowing the presence of Jesus to meet us anew today. And maybe to prepare our hearts for that and to... Allow the intimidation factor to lower as we meet with God is maybe let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. Maybe not the version that you're very uh, aware of, this simpler version coming from the book of Luke. And uh, then I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over you as we enter into the Lord's table together. So let's say this together. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. God, I pray as we open our hands to you, as our palms face heaven, this is profound simplicity. Shedding away all the things that we've cluttered in our lives of what it means to connect with you. This is not about impressing others with our words or impressing you with our intensity. This is just us coming to you in the beauty of your presence. So God bless this time as we meet you anew in the bread and in the cup, in the profound simplicity of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Blessings now in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus and all God's people said together. Amen. <laughs>